Two weeks ago was my first Sunday here, and I said something about myself. I am a believer in responsible grace, that God makes us response-able, able to respond to the grace that He pours out upon us. Last week, I said something about the church, God's people here, the body of Christ in the world. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Today, I want to say something about the world. This marble that we see from outer space, this globe where seven-plus billion people call home. I want to speak about what the Bible says about this world of ours. Our Old Testament lesson comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, the call of Abram. Hear these words. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And our New Testament reading from the gospel comes from John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. The first of these verses may be more familiar than the second. But hear the word of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. For You alone, O Lord, are our rock and our mighty Redeemer. And it is in Your name that we pray. Amen. And amen. A couple came to realize that one of the most annoying parts of their lives were that they lived next door to a child psychologist who had no children of his own. Occasionally they would be outside and something would happen and they would raise their voices and the child psychologist from next door would come out and say to the parents, you must respond with love to your children. Do not raise your voices. Love, love, love. They would roll their eyes. They would talk about the experience later on in the evening. Well, the child psychologist with no children of his own put in a new driveway. And before the concrete was dry... 
the kids from next door had chased a basketball across the driveway. There were several basketball prints and one where it stopped and sort of stayed and several sets of footprints that had come and gotten into the concrete and when they had realized that it was kind of fun to play in, they had stayed a little while and made some more of a mess and the psychologist came out from the inside and he began to raise his voice quite loudly. The parents from next door came out and they said, Now, now, you shouldn't raise your voice at the children. You should love, you should love, you should love. At which the psychologist said, I do love, but I love your children in the moment in the abstract, and not in the concrete. That's kind of a dad joke. It's a good pun. But I'm here to tell you today that God loves the world, and God loves the world not just in the abstract. God loves the world in the concrete. In the concrete calling of Abram, who would become Abraham, God said, you will be a blessing, and all of the families of the world will bless themselves through you. You will be a blessing to all of the families of the world. God loves the world in the concrete as he sends poets to write the Psalms and the Proverbs and to teach people what it means to live a life of faith in all of this complex bundle of emotions that we call human life. God has loved the world in the concrete by sending the prophets into the world to teach us that truth is not whatever we find convenient, but truth is a life lived in accordance to the plan of God. And God has loved the world in the concrete. As a baby's cry was heard in Bethlehem, and God identified with humanity by becoming one of us, by entering into history, by taking on flesh, by knowing what it means to have weary muscles at the end of the day, by knowing what it means to walk the sandy, the sandy landscape of Israel, to sweat in the heat of the sun. God knows what it means to take the concrete step of entering into the world and loving the world. And so in John 3, 16, we find this truth that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but might have everlasting life. And in case you're wondering, verse 17 clarifies a bit God's intention. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God loves the world not only in the abstract, but in concrete ways beginning far earlier than Abram, but beginning for certain with Abram when God says you will be a blessing 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Dear friends, it is no accident that the first verse of the New Testament hearkens back to this story of God's call to Abram in the Old Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In Jesus, all of the promises of God to David are fulfilled. In Jesus, the promise to Abraham that he will be a blessing and that all the families of the earth will bless themselves through him reaches fulfillment. Dear friends, God blesses the world. And God enters into the world for the purpose of saving it. This is one of the core messages of the Bible. Now, I am a canonical Christian. I believe that the Christian faith is, is brought to us in the canon from Genesis to Revelation, these books that we find to be a part of the authoritative Word of God. But one of the great themes of the Bible is that God has come to save the world in Jesus Christ, and it is the core of Christianity. My mother was talking to me about a study she was doing in a small Methodist church in South Carolina, and she said that, that one of the views of Scripture that was presented in this, and by the way, it's not my view. I have a canonical view, but, but this one view captures the importance of this message of John three sixteen and, and 17. Uh, my mother said, the presenter said, we're grateful and we're blessed to have the Bible. But if we could only have part of the Bible, we'd choose to have the New Testament. Now, as an Old Testament guy, I might take issue with that because we don't get the New Testament without the Old Testament. But, but I'm just giving his, his perspective. And if we only had the New Testament and could only have a part of that, we might choose the Gospels. And if we could only have one of the Gospels, we might choose this magnificent and monumental Gospel of John. And if we could only have one chapter out of the Gospel of John, we would probably choose John chapter 3. And if we could only have one verse out of John chapter 3, we might choose verse 16. John three sixteen and 17 gives us this focus of the Bible of the Christian faith, this, this proclamation that God intends to save the world. Even though much of the world resists saving, God intends to bless the world through Abraham, even though much of the world receives God's blessing without gratitude. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him might not perish but might have everlasting life, for God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. As Christians, there are two ways that we must see the world, and like so much in faith, these, these methods for seeing the world are held in tension. So much of faith is tension. Faith versus deeds. Hope versus certainty. 
Today I want to propose to you that as Christians who believe that God has blessed the world in this child of Abraham, that Jesus has come into the world to save the world, there are two ways that we must see to see the world clearly. A man came to me, he found out that I was a pastor, and he said, I've got this problem. He says, I'm just angry all the time. I'm mad. I I go home and I turn on cable news and I watch it for two or three hours and I'm just angry. I've got to admit to you, I didn't, my response to him wasn't the best response to him. And later on, I thought about what it is I wish that I had, had said to him. And I wish I had said, you know the guy that went to the doctor? And he says, doctor, whenever I push my finger back like this, it hurts. And the doctor says, stop pushing your finger back like that. One of the ways that we can miss the Christian vision for the world is if we don't see the beauty and blessing in the world, there is something wrong with our vision. Chapter 1 of Genesis. God creates this world with all of its variety and all of the diversity of creatures with colors, all of the smells and sights and textures in this world. And over and over again in Genesis 1, we find And the Lord said, it is good. It is good. It is good. If you miss the goodness of the world, if you miss the beauty and the blessing of the world, then there is something that you have missed that is fundamentally real and fundamentally right about what God has made. Every morning when you sip your hot cup of coffee, When you have a piece of cake like I had yesterday after Joanne's funeral, it was some of the best cake that I have ever placed in my mouth. And my mouth is salivating just thinking about this cake. It's enough to make you believe in a good and generous God that these things can be. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have life more abundantly. The scriptures tell us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if you're like the person who came to me that day saying, I'm just angry all the time, I'm unhappy all the time, there is something that you are fundamentally missing about the human experience if you don't see beauty and blessing in this world. The other side of that is that we live in a world that is broken, that is fallen, where things are not as they ought to be. And the flip side is that if you don't look out at the world and see something that breaks your heart, something is wrong with your Christian vision. Things aren't the way they are supposed to be. We see the injustice in the world. We see the oppression that is everywhere in our world. We see that things are not like they ought to be. I was in another land, another country, not that many years ago. And one of the things that we did was we we handed out one-pound portions of rice placed in a Ziploc bag, an elderly woman 
walked away with her Ziploc bag with one pound of rice, and it was, it was a cheap Ziploc bag, and one of the corners gave way, and her rice spilled out of this bag. This elderly, dear child of God was there on her hands and knees picking up grain by grain of rice because it was all that she had to eat for the next three days. And I think about the food that I have thrown away in the past week. And I think about how much food in the United States goes uneaten. And I think about our lack of gratitude when we have when we have a table set before us. If you don't look out at the world and see something that breaks your heart, then maybe, maybe your Christian vision needs to be improved. In ways, we have a culture that celebrates death rather than life. In ways, we have a culture that encourages self-serving instead of generosity in ways we live in a world where we can see quite clearly if we look into it that things are not the way God intends for them to be. But dear Christian, make no mistake. Here is what God intends for the world. God intends to fulfill His promise to Abraham. You will be a blessing And all the world will be blessed through you. And Jesus, the Messiah, is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And God intends not only to bless the world, but to save the world. God intends not only to bless the church, but to save the church. God intends not only to bless you, but to save you. God is generous, and God is loving. And even this symbol here before us today is both a brokenness and salvation. It is the symbol both of death and of life. And in this sacrament, as we remember the Lord who offered himself for us, We remember that in these moments he gives himself to us because his intention for the world is to bless and to save. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.